Good morning, everybody, and welcome to week six of our As You Go series here at Oxford Vineyard. Um, this series is focusing on the words of Jesus from Matthew 10, 7, and 8, uh, and how they apply to our lives, and really how Jesus is calling us to do these things as we go um, every day in our day-to-day lives, in the workplace, with our families. Uh, so I'm just going to read that verse to you again. Uh, just in case you haven't memorized it yet. So it says, Proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. So we're examining this verse in great detail. And if you're interested, if you haven't been with us uh, for the first part of this series, I would point you back to the first five messages um, today. We're going to be looking at the third thing that Jesus lists there uh, to, in his assignment to the apostles, cleanse the lepers. And I think this is a, a really interesting portion of this verse for today. Um, I was really excited to talk about this when we were breaking it up and we were deciding who was going to talk about what. I immediately gravitated toward this one. And, you know, we've continually referred to the fact that healing has just as much to do with emotional and spiritual healing and deliverance uh, as it does with physical healing. And today, uh, that's going to kind of be our context. Cleansing the lepers has a really fascinating connotation when Jesus talks about it and what exactly he meant by this command, especially when we take a look at what is meant by leper. Um, So medically... Our understanding of leprosy is very, very different in the present from what the biblical understanding of leprosy would have been. So, biblically, leprosy would be considered any condition on the skin. So, today that would range from, you know, poison ivy to psoriasis to, you know, just about anything you can imagine that would be evident on your skin. Um, There's also something in modern times that would be understood as leprosy, but that wasn't the only thing that they were calling leprosy then. So why would Jesus say to heal the sick and cleanse the lepers? Aren't the lepers just sick people? Well, what I want us to think about today is the fact that he meant something different by cleanse the lepers than just heal their skin condition. Because in biblical times, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Folks with what was considered leprosy were thrown out of the city, right? They were, they were told to leave the camp. They were told to get away from society because they had something wrong with them. And they were considered basically societal baggage. And, and they were actually called unclean. They were called unclean by the priests and by the leaders of the day. And that's why they were sent out. Now, the word in Hebrew that's used, uh, that's translated unclean, is actually a word that more accurately means um, unrighteous, or that there's actually something fundamentally wrong with these people. Not that their skin uh, was, was blemished, or that it had this, this condition that could potentially be contagious. They weren't being removed from the city for the physical well-being of other people. They were being removed from the city actually for the moral well-being of other people. And that's a really difficult thing when we think about that. That sounds twisted, and it's hard to understand why, why would this happen? And there's actually Leviticus 13. So when, when the law is being laid out to the people of Israel, there's a long description, and it's actually kind of a graphic description of leprosy and, and what that means. 
and we get to Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, and it says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So really severe treatment for these people, right? I mean, there was very little attempt to, to help them with their condition. And then they were simply sent out. And they were actually, um, they were required to let folks know, hey, I'm unclean, right? And so this is weird. This is a weird command that we have. Um, you know, Leviticus says this is, this is in the law from God. And so why would that be in there? Why is that included? Because that doesn't seem like God's heart for people. And a lot of times when folks read the book of Leviticus and different books in the Old Testament that lay out the law and some of these harsh regulations that people lived under, they have a hard time understanding, you know, why was God doing this? And something that we have to understand is that the Bible is a complicated book. Uh, One of the most complicated things about the Bible is the fact that it was written by many authors over centuries and centuries. Um, And it's one of the important things to understand is that the Bible contains what we call progressive revelation. So what do I mean by progressive revelation? What I mean by that is at the beginning of the Bible, the picture that we have of God is obscured. It's it's available to us through the stories and writing in the Old Testament. It's available to us, honestly, through people who didn't know as much about God as we do now. And, you know, if that sounds hubris to you, just consider the fact that the only thing that Abraham knew about God was that God was a voice that had spoken to him and called him to live a different way. And the only thing that the people of Israel knew about God, because they didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them like we do, is what they were told by the priests, right? What they were told by these few people who uh, really controlled all the information that people received about God. And the picture of God doesn't become complete or perfect until we have the person of Jesus, And I heard it said one time, I really like this, that throughout the entire Bible, God is painting a picture of himself, um, and his medium is human authors. And like any artist, you're limited by your materials. Any artist is limited by uh, the paints that they've chosen or the pencils that they've chosen. You can only do what the medium can do. And so as God's painting a picture of himself throughout the Old Testament, he is limited by the medium of sinful humanity. That is the only tool that he has to reveal himself to the rest of us. And we only get that perfect picture of Jesus. Really, we're handed a photograph of God when we get Jesus in the New Testament and we see how Jesus interacts with the lepers. So I want you to consider that as we go on. When I say, you know, that that Jesus was turning these things on their head, Jesus was showing people what God really thinks about lepers. And so say what you will about the laws in the Old Testament. This is how God intends to interact with these folks. And this is how God intends to interact with people who have been cast out of society. This is his desire for for the church to function in such a way that we would uh, go to the lepers of our day and we would cleanse them. We would send them back to the priest, right? We would send them back into society to be restored to the rightful place that God has for them. So before I keep going, uh, I just want to pray. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. Uh, God, I ask that you would fill me, that you would fill everyone listening to the stream right now, anybody listening to this after the fact, 
that you would just stir compassion in our hearts. God, that we, we love you and we know that you love folks who have been thrown out. God, you desire to come alongside those who are suffering. So right now, Lord, I just ask that you would uh, cultivate a tender heart in us for the suffering among us, in our city, right in front of us, God. Would you open our eyes? Would you make us sensitive to that? In Jesus' name, amen. So, lepers are all around us, if we're paying attention. Really, the leper is the one that you can't seem to find yourself associating with. Um, We all, in one way or another, have deemed someone a leper at some point in our lives. Maybe it's someone that we would commonly think of as cast out from society. You know, somebody who's living in Section 8 housing or somebody who's struggling with addiction or somebody who can't seem to keep a job. But it also could be um, a, a person or a group of people who we have subconsciously, not even on purpose, uh, kind of cast out of our lives or cast out of our sphere. And I just want to talk about myself for a moment. So what, what have I done? You know, my life uh, to this point, it's a positive testimony, but there is still so much work to be done in my heart and in my city. When I think about this idea of cleansing the leper, I actually think about something that God did uh, early on in my life when I first met him. Uh, I started following Jesus about seven years ago, and one of the first things that happened to me was a transformed heart uh, for people who were suffering. And I went through this, this point of not noticing folks, and I, I traveled through that into this place in my life where the Holy Spirit started pointing people out to me and started really moving on my heart with compassion for people. And it was before it was really easy to disregard and ignore and not take time for people who were suffering. And as the Lord worked on me, I noticed this compassion rising up inside. And you might have had a similar experience in your life. I know one of the most radically important things that's happened to me in my life was um, this increase in compassion. And I actually started to uh, encounter and meet with homeless people just as I went. And the conversations that I had with these folks changed my life forever. Because we hear, you know, the rhetoric that the poor in society are a strain on our social safety net. And we hear all these things about people should be able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and so on and so forth. But the truth is, when we take the time to stop and talk to people who are down on their luck, so to speak, we gain an entirely new perspective. And many of you know that, but it's, it's such a good reminder. Um, every time I stop and talk to someone who is very clearly struggling, very clearly suffering, Um, It gives me renewed perspective, and and I feel like I gain a little bit of the heart of Jesus. I actually see Jesus in that person, Uh, and and we know that, you know, Jesus has told us, right, that as we do unto those folks, we're we're doing unto him. And so I think that this, this should serve as a reminder, that that should live at the very center of what we do and who we are. And there's, there's so much work to be done in my own heart. There's a mindset that I had to get out of my life. And it's this mindset that we, we reap what we sow. So let me explain that to you a little bit. Um, in, in theology, this is called Deuteronomic theology, but we'll, I'll spare you the long words because it's really not that important. What this principle says is this is a way that people understood God um, from a very early time. It's not unique to Judaism, and it's not unique to Christianity. And we know that Jesus is unique. Jesus is, a, is 
the God of the universe, right, in, in human form. And so um, I guess when we see something that's not very unique, I think we can say that doesn't need to be a central part of our worldview, right? So this idea of Deuteronomic theology, what it says is essentially that if you're being prospered, you must have sown righteousness, meaning you've lived well. You've lived according to the way that God wants you to. And if you're suffering, that means that you must have sown unrighteousness. So that's saying that you haven't lived the way that God wants you to. And we see this principle applied throughout uh, books of the Old Testament, specifically the five books of Moses, and then into you know, Kings and Chronicles, and so on and so forth. And I, I want to propose to you um, that that's not exactly the way that God works. That's not the way that God desires to interact with us, and it's certainly not something that we see evidenced in the person of Jesus. So early agricultural communities uh, in the Middle East and thousands and thousands of years ago, this is the way that they understood things. So, you know, you have to have a framework if you're in an agricultural community for a flood or a drought or a blight. And so generally the way that people would interpret this was that if there's been a flood and I have an unsuccessful crop, that means that there's something wrong with my life. It's just a primitive moral understanding of things. But what we see as the story of the Bible develops and as we move from Genesis to Revelation, we see this idea of Deuteronomic theology slowly fade into the background and we see a more accurate understanding of how God works come to the forefront. And I want to point out to you that the most clear pictures that we have of Jesus in the Old Testament have nothing to do with this. The clearest pictures that we have of Jesus are divine revelation to prophets like Isaiah of the Lord lifted on high, praising him for his holiness and his righteousness. And it doesn't have anything to do with people living right and being prospered or people living wrong and being punished for it. It's, it's the exciting prophecies of the Messiah that we see God come through the clearest in the Old Testament. So as a church, I think that we have done... Um, a nice job of doing the work of cleansing the lepers uh, in a sense, in the sense of, you know, reaching out to these folks and showing that we care for them, but we can do better. And, and I, I want to do better and I hope that you want to do better. And there's practical ways that we can do this. So with this idea of, you know, you reap what you sow, the next stop on that line of logic is well, I'm being prospered. So that means I've done good. It means that I have sown righteousness. And that person over there, they're suffering, they're struggling. And so that means that they've sown unrighteousness. And it's a, it's a sneaky thing. It's a sneaky thing that the enemy does in our minds to get us to think that where people are struggling, they've done something wrong. And I think the Lord is challenging us in this season as a community to, you know, any place where there's a little bit of a remnant of that mindset to weed it out. Because that's not how we see Jesus interacting with people in the New Testament. It's just not. So we cannot afford to look at folks who are suffering or struggling and say they deserve that without having any understanding of their situation or any understanding of the facts surrounding their circumstance. What we have to do is go into this with an understanding that each and every person is created in the image and likeness of God and believe, truly believe, that God desires for humanity to prosper. Now, I don't mean prosper in the prosperity gospel sense of have everything that we'd ever want and, you know, have extravagant possessions and uh, be living in excess. 
What I mean by that is that the image and likeness of God is honored in every person. So continuing on, um, I said that we can do better as a church. What I mean by that is there's still work to be done in our hearts and um, we can do more. You know, I've talked before about this idea of charity and how the idea of handouts and one-time help, that's fine, but that's small potatoes. And what we want is the one big potato, and that's life change. So we're going after entering into the community and helping folks change their lives. And I think that's what Jesus did. You know, in in Luke 17, there's this story about Jesus healing 10 lepers. Um, Jesus is going along, and the lepers call out, and they say, you know, Jesus, heal us, and he does. And only one of the 10 lepers returns and thanks Jesus. And there's this exchange where, you know, Jesus is saying, well, where are the other nine? And, um, you know, go read it, Luke 17. But the point that I'm trying to make is that Jesus had a 10% rate of return on his investment of healing, right? He healed these 10 people and only one of them came back. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, we don't do this to get people to come to church. We do this because we already come to church, right? My point is that, when we go out into the community and we do the work of cleansing the lepers, that is, you know, healing the systematic injustice and, and the injustice of casting folks out of society and counting them as less and believing that they deserve what they've got. When we do the work of righting that wrong, we do it because we love Jesus and because that's what the church does. Um, we don't do it as some kind of, you know, plot to get people to come to church. And you folks know that, but I think that the church at large would do well to have a healthy dose of uh, doing good for the sake of doing good, doing good for the sake of representing God in the earth and not for the sake of growing our congregation or getting more people into our events. So what I want to talk about now is, you know, what did Jesus do and what is he doing now? I've talked about what I've done. I've talked about what you've done, what we've done. Um, But what about Jesus? I want to take a a look at a specific story. This one uh, is in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. And it it covers a lot of things that we're talking about in this As You Go series. So it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. This is the only instance in the New Testament where someone comes to Jesus and says, if it's your will to heal, would you heal? The one time that Jesus is asked that question, he answers definitively, I will. And so when you're asked this question, or when you're asking this question in your mind, is it God's will to heal? The only time that Jesus was ever asked that point blank, he answered it pretty clearly. It's his will to heal. So let's keep going. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So there's another interesting thing that happens at the end of this story. And it's what's referred to by theologians as the messianic secret. That is this thing that Jesus does over and over again when he heals people. And then he says, 
don't tell anyone. Don't make this a big deal. And of course, what do they do every time? They tell people. This is the humility of Jesus on display because when true signs and wonders occur, when something real happens, we don't need hype to let people know. When something real and of God, now I'm not knocking the power of the testimony because I believe that sharing our testimonies of what God's done in our lives carries real power. But what I am saying is that Jesus is putting true God-like humility on display here. When he's saying, don't tell people that this has happened, but the work speaks for itself and, and people find out anyway. Now, when Jesus interacts with this person, when Jesus interacts with the lepers in Luke 17, something really important is happening. The important thing that's happening is that um, Jesus touches the leper. And this was completely taboo. This was not to be done by anyone, especially someone like Jesus, who um, was, was a very intelligent rabbi, someone who knew the Bible, someone who really was not supposed to be engaging in these kinds of things. And I think that God is inviting us to touch the lepers, so to speak, in our community. I, I think that that's such an important thing that, that Jesus has done here, that he's modeled for us, is that he is willing to go to the outcasts of society, to come close to them and to interact with them in a way that really he wasn't supposed to. It was expected that he wouldn't do that. Um, you know, when we pay people lip service, when we say that we care, but we don't actually make the steps to go to where people are and, and encounter them in their space, you know, we, we've really misrepresented Jesus. And I think that something, something really important, you know, when, when we do healing on the streets uh, at Parkview Arms, I mean, that makes me pleased with our church, right? That we have people who are willing to go there and do that and, and be welcoming to those folks. And so, the next thing that I want to talk about is kind of the next step, and that is inviting these people in, right? Because the, the end that Jesus was after was not visiting the leper where they were and then leaving and leaving them where they were. The, the thing that he was trying to accomplish was, you know, being able to allow this person to reenter society. Now, last week, Josh referenced um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and this week, uh, you know, as I was preparing for this and I was thinking about the lepers, it really brought to mind Monty Python's The Life of Brian. And The Life of Brian, you know, Brian is this fictitious uh, brother of Jesus who basically is, is just, you know, his, he, he's struggling with how perfect his brother is. And there's a point in The Life of Brian where uh, there's some lepers on the street and they're asking for charity. They're asking for alms. And so, you know, one leper says alms for a leper. And the next leper says alms for a leper. And then the third leper says alms for an ex-leper. And everyone says, you know, what, what do you mean ex-leper? And he, he's like, well, you know, Jesus just came along and healed me. And um, I don't know. That doesn't really have anything to do with what I'm talking about. But I thought it was funny. And, you know, it's about lepers. So anyway, um, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would make us aware of who we've ostracized. And, you know, this doesn't just happen inside the church and outside the church or inside the city and outside the city. There are actually folks among us um, who we haven't treated right. You know, we can do that. It's, it's a sneaky thing. It happens by accident, but it happens. And one of, the, one of the things that was really brought to my attention as I was preparing for this is... Um, I read a poem, and this poem was uh, 
by a woman who was in the church, and she wrote this poem about her struggle feeling like a leper uh, inside the four walls of the church because she had these struggles that people were unwilling to engage with. And, you know, they would say to her, well, you know, you should probably deal with that in prayer. You should deal with that with God. And it's not appropriate for us to take on your stuff uh, and things like that. And I just want to point out, you know, we need to be really aware of that among our own people. I think that we should be cautious and careful about the way that we interact with people as not to create lepers among us, right? The last thing that we would want would be people in our church to feel like lepers. And so what all this requires of us is actually our time. It requires for us to uh, be, be patient, to stop, to listen to people, and to be gentle with people as Jesus was gentle with people. And really to, to believe that God has something better for them. You know, one of the other things that I thought was interesting as I went through this material and as I was getting ready was this idea um, that humans have a tendency to blame our problems on others. So the philosopher Rene Girard, uh, historian and philosopher, did a lot of work on the scapegoat mechanism. And so basically what this is, it's the subconscious tendency of humans to blame others for our own failure or misdeeds, uh, and, and it stirs up prejudice against the other. And I just want to point out, there was never a people group that Jesus blamed his problems on. He did not blame his problems on the elite or the sinners or the tax collectors or the lepers. Um, you know, he was kind of hard on the Pharisees, but he was technically a Pharisee. So I would say that he had the authority to do so. Um, a teacher that I really respect, Brian Zond, he said it this way. He said, blaming a scapegoat is the satanic way of achieving unity. We unite around a common vilification of a nefarious them. We project our collective fear, loathing, anxiety, and rage upon a scapegoat. It's emotionally cathartic, and it's highly effective in achieving temporary unity within a community. It's also satanic. And the thing that I want to point out, and what I think Brian is trying to say here, is that we have to be very cautious any time we start to rally around vilifying a group of people, even if they're doing something wrong. Even if they're doing something that fundamentally goes against uh, the, the tenets of God, it's not our job to blame them for our problems. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to return to Oxford Talk for a moment and my, my disdain for Facebook. Now, there are, there are people groups in this city who are, who are scapegoated on Oxford Talk, right? And I think it, the only reason I bring this up is because it's a very practical example. It's one that we can understand very easily. Um, it's a good depiction of what Jesus is asking us not to enter into. And I would argue that he's asking us not to enter into that in our subconscious. He's asking us not to enter into that in our private conversations with people that we trust. So what I would say here is that we have to be very cautious anytime you know, we hear rhetoric blaming a people group like the lepers for the moral decay of society, right? The lepers were asked to leave town not because people were in physical danger, but because they believed that the lepers would morally uh, cause the breakdown of society. And so when we allow ourselves to look at a people group and say, you know, these folks, whether it's, you know, the elite or the deep state or, you know, any of these um, 
these things, right, and we say they're the reason for the moral decay of society, we have actually entered into the scapegoat mechanism. We've entered into the mechanism that has been present since sin entered the world, right? Because what happens when Adam and Eve sin? They, they try to blame each other and they try to blame the snake and they, right, they can't figure out how to take responsibility for their own misdeeds. And so one of the practical things that we can do is we can be accountable for our own doubts and we can be accountable for our own anxieties. We can be accountable for our own mistakes. And I think that a great thing would be, you know, for us to really focus on being a church that goes after these groups of people that the rest of the world blames their problems on. Because those folks feel it. You know, we can go after them. We can invite them into the love that Jesus has for them, into the presence and the power and the really the destiny that Jesus has for them. And I think we already do that to an extent, but I think God's challenging us into the more. I was talking to a pastor friend this week, and, you know, we don't have men's and women's groups. And although I'd like to have those things someday, you know, youth groups and this group and that group and, and recovery groups and whatever, um, they're on the back burner because we focus our efforts on reaching these folks who are the lepers in our city. And that makes me proud. You know, I, I don't know from a church planting or church structure standpoint um, if that's the right thing to do, going after those people first. But I feel that that's the call that Jesus has for his church, right? It, it brings to mind this, um, this passage from Luke 14. And it's challenged me, but I think it's a good challenge for us in this, in this moment in time, in this moment in history, uh, and Jesus says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so what Jesus is saying here is basically when you have a party, when you get people together, don't invite your friends. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Invite the lepers, right? Invite them in. Engage with them. Do life with them. And, and you will be blessed. And, you know, sometimes we hear Jesus say things like that, and it's like, okay, Jesus, like, really? I mean, how am I supposed to do that? But I think he was serious. I think that that was a real challenge to followers of Jesus to uh, invite these folks in to our inner circle, right? Because personally, you know, I have a few close friends, and I love spending time with my close friends. And when I throw a party, those are the people that come to mind, right? Those are the people that I want in the room. Those are the people that I want to share my food with and that I want to have sitting on my couch and using my bathroom. You know what I mean? Those are the people that I want in the room. But when we start inviting people in who we wouldn't necessarily choose to have in the room, I think the, the reward, the supernatural reward that will come along with that will be so great. And it's not just an eternal reward. I believe that, you know, we're a people who seek to partner with the power and presence of God. And I think there's going to be more power and presence of God present when we enter into that work. I think we're going to see a greater measure of those things open up as we start to experience uh, what it is that God's calling us to. We need God to make us instruments of his peace, uh, to sow love where there's hatred. We need, you know, where there's injury, we are the ones who pardon. Where there's doubt, we bring faith, hope, 
in exchange for despair, light in exchange for darkness, beauty from ashes. Um, you know, that's what Jesus does. And so we have to understand, we have to love, we have to give. And so the thing that I want to leave you with is this. Um, this is work that we do as we go, right? This truly is healing. It's the healing that our community needs, that our city needs, that, that the world needs. And I, I, I've really felt this strongly over the last few weeks. And I shared a, a message on the Oxford Vineyard community page, I think is what it's called, on Facebook. And um, I would encourage you all to go back and, and listen to it. You know, God has a story that he's telling today. And there's lots of other stories. There, there are stories that are told to you, you know, in the 24-hour news cycle. There are stories that are told to you by your friends. There are stories that are told to you by conspiracy theorists. And I just want to encourage you, you know, none of those things, I, in my opinion, are the story that God's telling today. When we look around at what's going on in our neighborhoods and what's going on in Oxford, people are being opened up to love in a way that they never have before. You know, we checked in with some of our neighbors around the church this past week, and I was so encouraged to hear them say, you know, these are folks who, who don't even attend this church, but to hear accounts of they're looking out for one another and the care that they have for one another as a neighborhood. And I'm telling you, you know, we can get distracted by all the stuff that's happening on the margins, and we can get distracted by the different narratives that are being told. But the truth is, right now, people are starting to enter into love and, and being good neighbors to one another in ways that we never have before as a society. And when this pandemic is over, whenever it's over, and we start to enter back in, and we start to do things the way that we did things before, the rest of the world's going to forget that. They're going to forget what it looks like to be good neighbors. They're going to forget what it looks like to love strangers. And we have an opportunity as a church to pick up that momentum. So, the, spoiler alert, I think this is the story that God's telling today. We have an, an opportunity as a church to pick up that momentum and run with it into the future where other people will stop. And so I think that's where our focus needs to be now is on being good neighbors, on reaching out and cleansing the lepers in the sense that, you know, we go and we find the folks who are marginalized. We find the folks who are on the outside of society and we invite them into the banquet. We invite them into the feast. We invite them into the party that God's throwing, right? And, and I would encourage you, you know, go back and read the, the, the wedding feast of the lamb in, in Revelation and this account of the beauty of the consummation of all things. And imagine that you could be a small part by your actions day in and day out, welcoming folks into that feast. That's, that's the assignment that I think God has for us. That's the healing that we're pursuing. And so day in and day out, we look for opportunities to express this peace, this love, this light to people who desperately need it. And I want to just encourage us to be a church that's not afraid of anybody, that's not afraid to engage in conversation with strangers and people who are clearly struggling. And, you know, those are going to be some of the most fruitful conversations that you have in your life. Some of the most memorable conversations in my life have been with strangers. They haven't been with close friends or family members. 
because those are the moments when I really feel like God visits me and he speaks to me through this other person's story, through this other person's struggle. And we get to share a moment together of uh, inviting God to come in close. So I'm just gonna pray for us. Jesus, would you come and move us with compassion? Would you come and stir up in our hearts the desire to cleanse the lepers in the way that you did, not just to heal their sickness, but to invite them back to image you, God, to be the likeness of you in the world. Father, I just ask that you would uh, open us up to the fact that there is not a single person that you have disqualified from being your image and likeness on the earth. And God, I just ask that you would uh, open our eyes to any place where we have uh, vilified the other, any place where we have entered into to scapegoating. And would you just remove that from our lives, God, and allow us to be a people who are not blaming our problems on others, but we're blaming our problems on the enemy. Allow us to be a people who are accountable for our actions and allow us to be a light to this community in this season of coronavirus when, when it's finished and when people start to forget what it looks like to love their neighbors. Let us be the ones to carry that into the future. In Jesus' name, amen.